natural and cultural history is important for several reasons. We gain insights into the ways in which people and the environment have interacted over time and how these interactions have shaped our current world. We, it also promotes biodiversity and conservation efforts by protecting the natural resources of an area. Hi again, I'm Paige, and today's guest is William Billy Creech, president of the MDHA. What is MDHA? We will find out in a moment. Billy is an elected member of the Explorers Club. He holds an MBA degree from Cornell, is the president of the Mojave Desert Heritage and Cultural Association. There is where your MDHCA comes in. Uh, he is a published author and poet, is a two-time Mojave Road Wagon Master Award recipient, and is a product manager for Oracle Corporation. He is also accredited executive producer and the key subject of the recently premiered short film, Mojave Roads, Preserving the Unknown, by and off-road. Welcome to the podcast, Billy. Thank you, Tash. How are you? I'm good. Uh, tell us, uh, how did you come to this nonprofit Mojave, and does the name Mojave have a meaning? Yeah, so how did I become involved with Mojave Desert Heritage and Cultural Association is uh, back in 2017. Well, I grew up in Southern California, and that's the Mojave Desert is a 20 million acre uh, area in Southern California, parts of Nevada, and parts of Arizona. And so I grew up in that area, in that region going out there and recreating on motorcycles and off-road and hiking and exploring. And so uh, in 2017, I became aware of a route that had become defunct for 30 years. And right, we had done historic routes out there, the Mojave Road, which is the original, uh, it was an original um, trade route for the Mojave Indians. And then as pioneers started moving west, the Indians showed them the route, then it became a settler route, wagon wagon routes. And it just is this historic route through the desert. It runs uh, 140 miles east to west from the Colorado River to an area called Camp Katie near Barstow. And it's it's world famous. And our founder, uh, Dennis Casebeer, uh, that road had been lost to history and he spent almost a decade bringing it back and mapping it, and hiking it, and turning it into a recreation route uh, for backcountry explorers and enthusiasts to get out there and enjoy in a in a responsible way, right? Keep them on a single path so that they're not out destroying the flora and fauna in a sensitive habitat. And so he did that. And then he realized that a single route could cause actually could actually cause a negative impact because everybody's using one thing; they're all concentrated in one area. So he then decided he wanted to create a bigger route to disperse people through other areas. And so he created the East Mojave Heritage Trail, 730, well, actually when he did it, it was 660 miles. Um, then it went defunct because of some government action and it was lost to time for 30 years. And I came across it and I decided I could remap it and bring it back for people to enjoy and to better conserve the area, right? Because there's a, there's 11 endangered species in the Mojave Desert. The desert tortoise gets the most attention. Um, and as people 
go into areas that they really shouldn't or go off the beaten path, they destroy the habitat. And these animals are very, very sensitive. And so they perish very quickly. So it's important to keep the human interaction into um, compliant areas so that the wilderness areas can be unimpacted and, and the animals can thrive and reproduce and, and bring the populations back. So I decided that it was a win for the environment. It was a win for the government agencies who are trying to protect it. It was a win for the recreationists who are trying to get access. And it was a win for scientific explorers who needed routes to get deeper into the Mojave Desert to do their studies, right? They needed something that's compliant because even they can't take a vehicle or anything into a wilderness area. You can only go on foot. You can't have any mechanical advantage. So you couldn't even land a helicopter out there. So, right, nobody had ways to compliantly get into these areas. So I figured that I could remap it. And it took me a year and a half, almost two years to remap it. And then I went out and proved that it could work. And, and with the re remaps, it became 733 miles. But working with the Bureau of Land Management, working with national parks, um, was actually several groups of Bureau of Land Management and then national parks, was able to successfully bring back this compliant route that now can get people into other areas of the Mojave Desert where they can access it and enjoy it and mitigate the impact of Mojave Road. So it's been very successful. We, there were no, right, you always hear about um, the conflict between enthusiast groups and recreationists and environmental groups and government agencies, right? It's always about, I was just meeting, I was just down in, down there last week and I was meeting with BLM and, and we were actually joking and laughing that look what we've done six and a half years. We've been working on this and we haven't had one fight and look at how successful it is. There hasn't been one battle because everybody saw the win and everybody worked together. Right. So, uh, it must have been a very enjoyable experience as well right? to start everything uh, all over again and discover and make improvements and make uh, conveniences. It must be very exciting. Yeah, it, it, it is. And especially when, you know, the just the, uh, the overwhelming, I want to say joy, but when I, you know, when I was doing the route, when it physically came to actually drive it and prove that the paper remap could work. And I was out there, you know, I had a friend with me in my seat, um, but we were single vehicle going out where people, some people hadn't been in 30 years. And you know, when we completed the route, when we finished it successfully, because it was six days, it was very challenging. Um, I thought I would be happy. I thought I would be overjoyed. And I was actually, I just kind of sat there and, and had tears in my eyes because it was like, I did it. It worked. It's going to be big. But it's over. Right? Yeah. It's over. And, oh, was I wrong. Because <laughs> that was three years ago, four years ago now, four years ago this coming month. And it's been continuing to work. It's been getting signs approved, right, to keep people on the proper route because it borders 400 miles of wilderness land. So it's important to keep people pointed in the right direction. So putting navigational signs, I was just out there a couple weekends ago putting ground markers in, um, working with the Cal state of California to get a grant, working with General Tire to get a grant to help fund these things because they're very expensive. Uh, it's $100,000 to sign this route. Yeah. And so, you know, 
it's been a lot of that kind of work and working with BLM on, on the sign designs and the logo approvals and designing a logo. It has, what I thought was going to be the hard part and be over turned out to be the easiest part. And it's been so hard ever since it's been a, just a tremendous amount of work and it's not going away anytime soon. And in the meantime, uh, the Mojave Desert Heritage and Cultural Association that Dennis Casper, who founded these routes originally, he founded that organization to preserve and conserve all aspects of the history of the Mojave Desert, the people, the artifacts, um, the the lands. And he he created I mean, the MDHCA is home to the largest historical archive on all things Mojave Desert. It has over 5000 um historic maps. It's got over 110,000 historic photographs. We have oral history interviews of the homesteaders, kids who were out there growing up as homesteaders and the early pioneers and settlers in the area. We have the oral recorded histories of these people. And we have wow. just, I mean, we have a massive archive, right? We have a, a real humidity temperature controlled archive building and tons of artifacts, thousands of artifacts working restored 1800 stamp mills for mining, right? Cause we focus on the homesteading, the mining history, the infantry history out there, uh, the early settlers out there. And it's, it's a tremendous collection. And it's a, it's a, you know, up until I got back involved with them, right? They've been curating this and collecting this and trying to catalog all this information and publishing books but it hadn't really been shared. So, so I became the president about 15 months ago and got on the board a year before that, uh, actually took Dennis's place uh, and he passed away in 2021. And it was an honor to be asked to, to kind of take his role. And that's kind of the role I'm in now. And I will never be him. Nobody will ever do what he did for that area as far as historical preservation. Um, but the mission is, is to preserve it all and conserve it all for future generations. And so we've been sharing, right? It's been better using technology. And we've had more researchers utilizing our archive in the last year than I think in the previous 20. So, right, the word is starting to get out there that we have this treasure trove of historical data for people to use and access it their research, further their research, find new angles of research. So it's been a joy. It's a challenge, for sure. Uh, but it has been a joy watching uh, researchers contact and say, or young students, interns, say, hey, I'm an anthropology student. I would like to come out and see your archive. And then you have this, you know, 20-year-old young woman come out into the Mojave Desert for the first time. And so they're experiencing the desert. They're experiencing the site because we have a 75-acre site. And... Then they start going through the historical documents and seeing the pictures and you just watch them like it's like everything is just hitting their head and then just watching them how we had no idea. You know, I had no idea that all this stuff was here. And it's and it's great. It's a it's a really good feeling so to be able to bring that. Yeah. MBHA founded. So the MBHCA was founded in as an organization in nineteen ninety three as a nonprofit. Um it was actually started before that as a group called Friends of the Mojave Road that Dennis used to bring in the trails we talked about, the Mojave Road and the East Mojave Heritage Trail. And then he purchased in 1990 a historic schoolhouse that was built in 1914 in Goffs, California. It was 
totally decrepit, it, missing walls, roof caving in. And he purchased this thing out in the middle of the desert, moved out there. He was 50 years old and 52. Oh. And, and he moved out there and took on this massive undertaking to restore this schoolhouse and turned it into a, what is now a, a registered national uh, historic place and is 100% restored and has, right, it's a museum. And then he and his friends, they, they turned the MDHCA, they, they created that into a nonprofit. The Friends of the Mojave Road became the MDHCA as a registered 501c3. And they then started buying property around the area in the immediate adjacent lots and built out a 75 acre site with, um, they, they built the archive that hosts that the building that hosts our archive. And it's a replica of the 1900 train station, train depot in Goffs, California. And so it's a big yellow and green. It looks, it looks just like the old train station and they you know 1800 stamp mills and they've restored them and they work a guy named charlie cannell came into dennis's sphere and dennis bought these stamp mills and charlie figured out how to restore them and so we run them they they work people can see 1800s mining techniques where they're crushing the boulders and, and rocks into into ore so that they can you know or into uh, smaller chunks so that they can separate the ore and so we can run those for people and show them history rather than telling them history we can show it to them and and uh so then right they so we built out an exhibit hall and they got their hands on our historic courthouse and moved it there and a historic uh caltrans house and moved it there so this site has a lot of infrastructure to it now and so me right they started this in 1993 i became the president about 15 months ago and dennis passed away in 2021 unfortunately um but he left a legacy. He left a legacy of conservation, of preservation, of historical education, and of backcountry exploration, right? And so, you know, the organization up until I came in, it's got three main pillars to it. And they only ever were able to use two of them because when Dennis first started this stuff as Friends of the Mojave Road and first started going with the MDHCA, he had the backcountry exploration and he had the historical education but the site wasn't built out yet. So mm -hmm. as he started building out the site, the government action happened that closed off his route and he spent so much time creating those routes. He spent 20 years of his life doing that, that he just completely backed away from the exploration side of things. And he focused on the history and the site and the backcountry exploration went away. And so the backcountry exploration is where you get the masses of people right? It's the recreationists, it's the explorers, it's the overlanders, it's, it's a massive group, massive population group that mm -hmm. he kind of turned away from. And so here I come, right? And I recreate the route and start doing the, the, the publishing, you know, selling the guidebooks again. And now we've brought that third pillar back into play, right? Because he had the backcountry exploration and then the history and then he dropped the backcountry exploration went to the history and the site and now what i've done is i've brought the exploration back in so now we have all awesome. three together so yeah from a my big my main thing out there because people can tear up landscape right there's a lot of folks that will just drive wherever they want that will do whatever they want they litter they yeah. do that kind of stuff and what I'm trying to do is say, if I can use the MDHCA to educate people, so attract them to the area with the site, give them a safe base camp, 
Give them a site to see history. Give them the materials to educate them on why that area is special. Why are you even out here exploring? Oh, it's a historical mine. Did you know a guy was shot right here? Did you know that the last gunfight in the wild, wild west happened right here? Right? So those kinds of things to get them interested to say, this place is cool, right? And if, if I can get them educated on it and interested in it, then by default, they're going to care about it. And when yeah, they're, absolutely. and when they're caring about it, then they're going to want to, they're really going to care for it. They're really going to want to take care of it and explore it responsibly, which then to me takes care of the environment, but it also yes. then helps the government agencies and the other advocates advocates for, um, protection. It helps them go, Oh, people really will care about this. People really do care. And then it, to me, it just facilitates a conversation rather than a fight. Right. And, yeah. and that's, that's what I'm trying to do. And, you know, I've this, um, a fellow member of the explorers club, uh, he had got a hold of me and we used the route that I, that I remapped, right. The EMHT. And he sent me, he's a, he's a geologist. He's an oceanographer and a geologist. And he had been documenting soil types out in the Mojave desert. So we were able to take all of his soil analysis, overlay my route onto it. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you have the blueprint for geologists who are studying soils and rock types. Here's your path to go see if you're interested in basalts or you're interested in quartz or you're interested in lava or whatever you're interested in. This is the route you take to get there and you do it compliantly. You don't, you don't have to, you know, tear up landscape to get there. So it's, so it's pretty cool. You know, how cool. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Let's take a break to understand what Jazuba is. Everyone at some point ponders on how this beautiful life can be made more meaningful. Maybe you're a leader trying to enhance your employees' experience at your organization. Or you already work for the community and seek volunteers with state-of-the-art skills to strengthen your nonprofit. Whatever your situation, know that you can make a difference. Chizuba began with this very vision, a vision to facilitate every skill and every passion in the world in meeting a social need. Corporate volunteering has several benefits for both businesses and organizations. In parallel, experienced and enthusiastic volunteers join NGO workers, enabling them to serve the community more effectively. Chizuba offers everyone looking to add purpose and meaning to their lives a chance to connect or volunteer virtually with non-profit organizations from over 100 countries around the world. Visit www.chizuba.net and explore opportunities to find meaning. Chizuba, your platform to do good. And now, back with our guest... I, I was just going to come to this question of how are you planning to educate people? And here you are uh, explaining how you've started up this entire geological research sort of center. So, uh, which brings me to, uh, do you also encourage school students or college students to come and visit your place? And is there some kind of, a, do you encourage them? Yes, absolutely. Um, in fact, uh, I had a, uh, a young female college student contact us and she was an, she's an anthropology major 
and she never been out in the desert before. She was going to hitchhike. But I was like, hey, you know, maybe try to get a get a car. <laughs> it's a long <laughs> way. Um, but she came and she spent five days at the site and looking at the archives. And and she was so she became so educated in the people that she talked to and the things that she saw and the things she experienced. She changed her entire thesis. Right now she's doing um, her, she changed her entire thesis as to I think her new topic now is um, how backcountry explorers actually are conserving the environment. They're not tearing it up. They're actually conserving okay. it. And so, okay. you know, it was a complete mind shift for her because, right, the typical noise that you hear out there is, oh, people are people are bad for the environment. They tear it all up. When in reality, it takes people to actually care for it. You know, when I'm out there, oh, yeah. when I'm out there, the other side. you know, taking care of the trails, making sure, right, da repairing damage to trails to ensure people access them because big monsoons happen, right? Especially last year, it was the worst in a thousand years. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of damage occurred. And what happens when damage occurs is people go out there, they're not going to stop just because they run into something that's impassable. They're going to drive around it and then they're going to start doing damage. They're going to widen the trail. They're going to damage the flora, which is going to put the fauna at risk. And I don't want that to happen. So, I go out there and my groups that our group, the MDHCA, I have people that I call and it's me and it's other folks who are skilled at this. And we go out there and we assess the routes. We what's passable, what's not. If it's something that we can fix, we fix it so that people can still access it and not do damage. And then if it's something that's mm -hmm. huge that requires heavy equipment or a lot of environmental impact, we write those reports to BLM and to national parks to say, here's where it is. Here's what it is. Here's the size. Here's the measurements. Here's everything. Here's what we recommend you do. And now you guys can better use your budget, right? It's more targeted and it's more efficient and it's, and it, and it saves them money by not yes. having to explore where these things are, are damaged. They know right where they are and they can go action it. So, yeah. so that happens. And then yes, we've had, more researchers accessing, right? We, we are, I don't want to say a research facility because that I think puts us on a higher pedestal than what we are because we're just a, we're a small group, right? We're not a university or anything like that. But we have these massive archives and we have pretty much anything and everything you would ever want to know. And on any key figure in the Mojave Desert, we typically have their story. So we have in the past year, have had more researchers and more universities contacting us to access our archives than I think in the previous history of the organization, because the word is starting to get out there that we have this. Yeah. And, and that's been one of the things, right, is, is um, using technology to get the word out, right? So talking to you, a podcast, so your, your audience, your, your members will know who we are when before they're like, who, <laughs> who are those guys? No, it's like a missing piece of puzzle. You never know uh, where what is going to fit in. Right, exactly. And and sometimes uh, sometimes it doesn't make sense until you rotate it and use it a little different yes. way than what it was used before. It's true, very true, very true. Uh, you're doing fantastic work. And lastly, tell us about the time when you actually discovered yourself. Um, well, actually, you know, it's weird. Uh, so 
Michelle had said to my, so my other half, she had said to me one time we were, we were driving and we had been on pavement for a long time to get to where we were heading into, into back country. And she just looked at me and she said, it's amazing. And I said, what's amazing. And she said, your whole body language, your face, everything changes when you leave pavement, when you get out into nature, everything about you changes. And you know, I, I get out there, I enjoy it. It's quiet. I'm typically not in groups. I'm typically by myself. Um, and one day I was talking to Dennis at his house and we had just met. I had just remapped the route. He was too sick to attend his daughter. Um, you know, as I'm, I was the keynote speaker at the MDHCA event and I'm talking about remapping this route successfully, Dennis's route. And there's a, a woman in front of me holding a phone the whole time. And I didn't know who she was. And it turns out it was Dennis's daughter and Dennis was too ill to attend. So she was FaceTiming. And so Dennis wanted to speak with me. She's like, my dad wants to talk to you. I'm like, great. Who are you? Who's your dad? <laughs> and it turns out she was Dennis's daughter. And, and Dennis invited me out to his house. And so I drove out to see him and meet him face to face. I had talked to him on the phone a few times uh, when remapping this thing. And we were talking about the experience of remapping it and his experiences creating the route in the first place. And we're, we're having these conversations. And then he just kind of looked at me. He just kind of turned and looked at me and he said, tell me in all of your explorations, the desert and elsewhere, what's the best thing you've ever found? And it was, hmm. it was weird because, you know, you think I would have said, Oh, this artifact or this petroglyph or something like that. And it was weird to me thinking back on it because I didn't even hesitate. It didn't even, I didn't even think about it. I just said myself <laughs> and he yeah. smiled. And then our relationship went to 11. And at that point it was like, you know, kindred spirit, as far as, you know, the exploration and the conservation side goes. And we just talked about so many things. And he, he started telling me these secrets that things he had discovered out there that he had never told anybody, right. They would have gone to the grave with him if he hadn't told me. And, um, you know, yeah, so, the inner workings. Self of, pardon? You came to the self-discovery and you realized this is where this is where your calling is. I did. And, you know, when when I got elected into the Explorers Club, right, that's a huge that was a huge honor, very humbling honor to be in the presence of some of those people in the history of that organization um, and be able to now write uh, 10 years ago. My friends were, I was a drag racer and, and things like that. And those were my friends and they're still my friends, but now like I've got some of the best explorers yeah. in the world as my friends. And it's, it's, it's kind of crazy guys that, that, you know, I got me started into things, right. That, that, you know, I, when I first started getting into the long distance exploration stuff, it was because. I, I'd been trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I wasn't happy just camping. I wasn't happy, you know, just going from point A to point B and then back to point A and then out to another point. I wasn't happy doing that. I wanted to move, but I didn't know how to do it. And, you know, as a, as a young man, 18 years old in the 1980s, um, the original Banana Republic stores, right? They were the adventure themed, right? They had the Jeeps and the elephants and giraffes and they looked like trading posts. They looked like safari camps, these these retail stores. And they sold safari clothing. That's what they did. 
I remember making minimum wage and not being able to afford anything. And, you know, there was one of those stores across the street from my apartment. And I would go over there and I told the manager, I'm like, look, I'm not going to steal anything, but I can't afford to buy anything in here either. I just like the way this store feels. It feels like I'm in an adventure. But, you know, being a city kid, my dad was a cop. My mom was a waitress. They got divorced when I was 10. I didn't know how to do it. Right. I mean, knowing what I know now, if I could talk to my 18 year old self, I'd be like, hey, jump on a cattle boat and work your way across the Atlantic and go to Africa. Right. Or go go do the southern jungle loop in India. Right. I did, you know, from from uh, um, Bengaluru and Hyderabad and up to Pune. Right. Did the whole jungle route down through the southern tip. And if I could if I could talk to my younger self, I would say, just go, just go do that. You know, don't Mm -hmm. don't worry about it. It'll work itself out. And so, you know, fast forward to, you know, I'm older, I'm in my 40s, and I go into a, a bookstore, and I see this magazine on the shelf, it's called Overland Journal. And I pick it up, and I was like, what is this? And I look at it, and I'm like, oh, this is how you can use your vehicle to do long-distance stuff. And I start looking at it, and I read the letter from the editor, a guy named Chris Collard, who I never heard of. And... It's about not wasting time. Stop thinking about it. Stop dreaming about it and go do it. Right. And so that hit me like a ton of bricks. I bought the magazine and the next day I emailed Chris Collard and said, okay, you seem like you know what you're doing. Teach me. How do I do this? And so, and that has started a great friendship. He, he, We've done trips together. We've, we are really good friends. In fact, he, I invited him out to the MDHC last October at our big event. He was the keynote speaker. And mm-hmm. it was really cool to be able to be the president of an organization and, and introduce you. the guy who got me into it in the first place. Wow. Right? How, that was a special, special moment. And, you know, Michelle and I and he and his wife were doing a trip in July. And so we're, we're he, I count Chris among my best friends. And wow. so it's just this, the world of people who care, they don't just care about nature. They actually care about their friends and they actually want to mentor people and teach people how to do this the right way. And that's part of my message as well. I have, I started a, an EMHT Facebook page, right? For people that want to do the EMHT. And I'm like, just call me. If you have questions, call me because this route will hurt you. So if you want to learn how to do it, you can read here. It's a group of people and it's grown to, you know, it's only like 450 people. But for that kind of a route, that's that's pretty big. Um, yeah, it is. But people call me all the time and I'll talk to them for hours about how to do the route. And they're like, how do you do this? I'm like, because this is what I wanted somebody to do for me. Yeah. I, I needed somebody to teach me how to do it. And Chris was that guy for me. And so I'm willing to be that for anybody else. Wonderful, wonderful. And I think on that note, we will stop here because I know you can keep talking about uh, MDCHU so much, but uh, we will stop here. And thank you so much for sharing your story, Billy. It was wonderful talking to you. Is there, um, right, so we, we are membership driven. Is there a way to, to talk about becoming a member to support us? Sure. Okay. I mean, I just, right, I mean, I'm the president. Sure, whatever you want. So the MDHCA, we are a member-driven organization, and we are growing for the first time since 1994. We grew last year. We doubled our membership. We have 800 members now. 
and the more the merrier obviously but you can camp on site for free if you're a member access our archives the museums and we have events and and it's a great community for people it's only fifty dollars a year that's it you get a lot of value for that and so if anybody is you know wanting to be a member come out to explore the mojave desert you have a safe place to camp and a community to uh, get involved in um we are at mdhca.org and we also are launching a new website shortly uh, the URL is the Mojave Road.org. Lovely, lovely. Uh, I'm joining your uh, club. Thank you. <laughs> so well, right now it's mdhca.org. In about a month, it'll be the Mojave Road.org, but it'll point to it. Yeah. I've never, sure. I've never, I never realized how hard it is to build a website. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you've got volunteers from Chizuba. If you've signed up at Chizuba, you will have volunteers who will do it for you uh, for free. Well, I I have not signed up yet, but I intend to. So I, I literally, when I got your when I got your your invite, I was heading out the door for the desert for a few weeks. That's why I said my schedule is going to be screwy. <laughs> yeah. So well, I'm so glad you're here today, and I'm so glad we could get record this. And I loved to hear everything about. The discovery and your self-discovery, it was a wonderful, wonderful session that we had right Well, now. thank you. I hope you were not disappointed. So, Not at all. Not at all. It was fun. Thank you all for joining in. See you all in the next episode.